Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 107. Hello, how are you? Happy New Year. It is New Year's Eve. It is uh, 10, 12 a.m. My wife is asleep. My daughter is at my mother-in-law's house across the driveway. I have a morning to myself. It is lovely. I went to the recycling center. <laughs> That's how I spent my morning to myself. Um, yeah, you know, drop off the recycling. <laughs> we can pay for that. But it really seems like the height of laziness to pay for dropping off your recycling when you could just drive over there. It's like a half mile away. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I did my good morning, hello, how are you post this morning, and I uh, had my last crappy breakfast before I start my diet tomorrow. Big times. Diet is starting. I am excited and nervous about it. I've got my special magical weight loss drug that I'm going to take tomorrow, I guess, and uh, just roll with it and diet and see what happens. I'm totally scared, but why not? We're going to see what happens. Whew. Yeah, what else? What else? I've been on vacation since uh, the 22nd was my last day of work, so I had the 23rd and the 24th off because <laughs> this is great. Matt, our CEO, was like, well, Christmas is observed on the 24th this year because the 25th is a Saturday, and we also give Christmas Eve off, so I'm assuming Christmas Eve is observed on the 23rd. I was like, all right, I love your logic on this. I am going with it. So that was nice, and then I uh, we are, were closed this week. So I've had this whole week off. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, we had a lovely Christmas dinner. I sort of waffled about whether to make it or not. I make the holiday meals because nobody else in the family cares about it. But I know they secretly like it when I do it. And I, you know, I kind of like I kind of had regret on Thanksgiving. I mean, I love Thanksgiving. I love the dinner, but it took up a lot of the holiday. But that's because I took the week before Thanksgiving off. So the Thursday was towards the end of my vacation. I was like, I'm using up my whole vacation on it. But then I realized that Christmas is at the beginning of this vacation. So I won't feel that way. And it's true. I didn't feel that way. So I did the meal and it was delicious. Uh, we still like, you know, we had kind of a routine going before the pandemic. We've only been in this house six years. We've only had Jane for four years. So, you know, like, we're still sort of developing our familial traditions, right? Janet's only been here for four years, three years, something like that. And, uh, no, she was here before Jane was born, so four years. But, um, you know, before the pandemic, we would have Christmas dinner, big Christmas dinner with Janet and, and everything on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas Day, we would have Chinese food either alone or with our friends locally. But, you know, we can't see them now. So, <laughs> so that didn't happen. So we had dinner on Christmas Day, and it was nice. Uh, food was delicious. Jane was great. She's really into it this year, which is way, way more fun than last year, where she didn't really grasp what was going on. She likes the food. She eats more than just the cornbread now. She's very excited. She loves presents. Christmas itself with the presents was super fun. Uh, Jane's hilarious because any present, no matter how big or small, is a source of endless excitement and fascination to her. And, of course, we're all buying her presents, all three of us. You know, we didn't go overboard or anything. I wouldn't say, like, from a, like a monetary point of view it was crazy or anything. But she got a lot of stuff, you know? So, like, um, every one of them required, like, a 5, 10 a minute inspection. <laughs> you know? Like, like, I got her this little, it's awesome, it's this little toy saw for toddlers, right? It's, like, four or five inches long. It's got a little plastic handle, and it's got these, like, mildly serrated but not sharp blade that they can cut cardboard with. And, you know, so it sort of, like, teaches them tools and stuff and Oh my God, she loved it. It's probably like four bucks. I strongly recommend it if you have a toddler. And she just loved it and like would not open another present for like 10 minutes. And then, you know, same thing. I got her a headlamp and she was because we take walks and it's dark now when we take the walks at five o'clock. And uh, she just loved the headlamp in like 10, 15 minutes. So like, you know, Janet, me and Emma have all opened our presents. And Jane's just it's like another hour of watching her open presents, which was quite nice, actually. Uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh... Yeah, Christmas was lovely. Spent the rest of the day relaxing. Did I watch a movie on Christmas Day? No. So I have a whole thing. I have two holiday traditions, holiday vacation traditions. One is to watch a movie every day. Oftentimes I miss Christmas Day, and I think I did miss Christmas Day. Uh, and, but I've, I've generally kept up with this otherwise. And the other is I have this giant list of things to do. I wrote about this. But, um, you know, all these year-end tasks that you got to do, right? Like... 
I write my journal all year, 750 words, and I'm very obsessed with having a printed backup copy because I don't like it digital. So every year I have to lay it out in Word and well, I use pages, but like lay it out into a book form and get get them off, send them off to the printer so I can get two copies printed, one for my bookshelf in the library and one for the storage unit because I want it to last and I don't trust computers. And, you know, um, so that takes a long time. Uh, I hate that, like, the camera roll piles up with your photos not sorted. I have an elaborate photo sorting mechanism. Like, if you want to know about it, it's amazing. I strongly recommend it for everyone. Probably requires two monitors to be really, really, really useful, but it is the best. And <laughs> I sorted 10,000 photos in one day. That should give you an idea of how amazing the photo sorting system is now granted probably about half those photos are just photos of Jane that I could throw into the unsorted photos of Jane folder because I use Dropbox to sync my photos from my camera to my phone. And instead of titling them photo one, two, three, four, like Apple does, they title them with the date. So if you throw them all in the photos with Jane folder and they're titled by date, then you know exactly when and where you took this photo of Jane. So it works pretty well, you know, but nonetheless, it's a great system. And I got that done. Um, you know, I have to like still work on, I have a document for my wife when I die, uh, how, where, you know, the bank accounts and passwords, things like that. And I update it once a year. I do that at the end of the year. Uh, I lay out the journal book. I organize my Spotify. As you know, I star tracks and Spotify all, all year. And then I move into a folder for that year, the best of 2021. And then I also copy them all into my, all the favorites folder playlist which is the playlist i play in the house and in the car when i'm driving it's my all the music i've ever loved it's pretty great uh so i gotta do that you know uh, i gotta i have a an inbox in the library that's where i just throw all the bills and insurance and stuff throughout the year and then once a year at the end of the year i have to file the paper copies that's kind of a pain of a task i guess i'll do that tomorrow <laughs> i don't like that one <laughs> that's probably my least favorite task on the list uh, I got to renew all my domain names. I already did that one. You know, I got all these things I got to do during the holidays. And I try and watch a movie every day. Those two holiday traditions are at odds, of course. And the net effect is that I'm generally stressed the entire holiday worrying about, like, getting all my promises to myself done. And I'm trying to not do that this year. I'm working diligently through the tasks. On top of that this year, I am working on the Good Morning, Hello, How Are You book. And I have an edit due to my editor, Lisa, at the end of the year. And it was really busy at work. So I was looking at last year, because I am, you know, reviewing my diary from the year as I lay it out. And I had finished sorting the photos and laying out the diary book by mid-December last year. I really got to jump on things last year. But I could not do that this year. I... I had that trip to New York, so that was part of the problem. But then when I got home, it was just really busy at work for those two weeks between that trip and, and Christmas. I, I had a lot going on at work, and so I couldn't just, like, you know, sit at my computer and monitor work while doing other tasks I was working. So that really put a dent in it. So all these tasks actually are now. Uh, some of them I don't believe in doing till the new year. Like, I have an end-of-the-year meme that I've been doing for, like, 10 years, and that I don't like doing till 2021 and that is also the case or until the new year so in this case 2022 uh, I also you know I catalog all the media I listen to and watch and read throughout the year and I don't like to do my best stuff until the end of the year I guess I could work on that today no I want to finish the journal today <laughs> so anyway it's been a lot uh I've been I took the weekend and and chilled did a little gardening stuff but um I've been working on it all week. I got the, and I started with the Good Morning, Hello, How Are You book layout edit because I promised that to Lisa at the beginning of January. And it was the only thing that really, like, beyond my own personal neuroses, had a time constraint on it. So it took three days. Uh, the book is about 700 pages. <laughs> it's way too long. Uh, it started uh, twice that length. I wrote a lot, right? I write, like, two, three pages a day, so it makes sense. But, um... Lisa is a fantastic editor. I cannot extol her virtues enough. She does it for other people. If you ever have a long manuscript that needs editing, let me know. I'll hook you up. Uh, her rates are quite reasonable. And uh, she cut a lot, and it's great. And I, I really, I'm very proud of this book. I mean, I really am. I know it's like a kind of a, it's like a dilemma because nobody really wants to relive last year, and it's too long. We're going to try and address that. Like, I'm sending her this edit uh, as soon as uh, my friend who's writing the forward writes the forward. 
which is due this week. We'll send her the edit, and then she's going to cut some more because as she got further through the book and she realized what it really was and she felt like she understood the, the text, she realized that there was more she could cut at the beginning. So I think we can get it down to like maybe 600, 650 pages, which is still long, but I, I just, I'm proud of it. And I, I uh, you know, if she wants to cut more, that's all the better. The more she cuts, I'm happy at this point. She get, she and I are in agreement about the good parts because she would mention in there, she'd be like, this is one of the best passages. And I'd be like, I agree. I was very proud of that passage. And I'm not like double checking her and I'm not like neurotically going and looking at the original text and seeing what she cut because that's just a fool's errand and it would make me crazy. And plus there's just too much. So I'm just not doing it. And I'm taking it as, as the text that it is. And it's very good. So I'm very proud of it. It's, it will be done soon. I spent three days working on it. And uh, I don't have a cover yet, so I got to figure out what I'm going to do for the cover. What kind of image will perfectly encapture this pandemic? I don't know. I don't know. That's something I have to start thinking about. But I got a little time because she's got this next round of edits. So, but yeah, so I got that done, and then I started on the journal, 750 words personal journal book, uh, and I'm, I will finish that up today. That's like a quick project. That was one full day. I started yesterday afternoon. And uh, I'm more than halfway done. So I'll finish that this afternoon after the podcast. Uh, the photos are done, so that's great. Uh, I think those are the big tasks. Then the next two days, I will turn myself to the year-end tasks, which is the year-end meme and the year-end media list. Uh, and then, honestly, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. I feel like there's one more kind of big one, but, yeah, we're feeling good. We're feeling good. Uh, and, yeah, so, you know, the work stuff that was busy is all on pause everybody just kind of had a rush to the end of the year we had to renew our insurance we had to renew a lot of like legal frameworks we belong to for privacy data privacy stuff like that in the eu stuff like that uh you know talking to some various strategic partners stuff like that it all sort of like stopped at the holidays so that'll pick up and work will be really busy again on on monday i have like i gotta schedule the board meetings for the year i haven't done that yet uh, we got to do a big year-end wrap-up presentation for the employees. We don't usually do that in December. We do it in January because Q4, because the holiday, blah, blah, blah. So there'll be a lot. It's going to be a busy couple weeks, but I am feeling it. Jane is well. Uh, she's been occasionally sporadically pooping in potties, so we are making some progress there. She's 100% uh, rock solid now. Potty trained on pee, but poop is still a problem, and she tends to wait till she puts on her nighttime diaper to poop in it. But we're making progress. Emma has semi-consistently started getting her to poop at night in the potty. I have not. She won't do it for me. She's, but that's the way it was with pee. She started with mommy and eventually would, would let me help her. But now she just does it by herself. Like, in the middle of the day, if she has to pee, she just goes to the bathroom and pees. It's like a miracle. I mean, I know this happens to every human being on the planet, and but, like, it's very hard to do. <laughs> she was in no rush. She's four. And, uh, you know, I'm proud that it's finally happening. Oh, I'm such a proud parent. Uh, now I'm working on the no thing. The other night she would ask me a question like, is that where Kitty belongs? Because she put her stuffed kitty in the place where it belonged. And I'd go, yes, that's where Kitty belongs. She'd go, no. Every time she'd ask a question, I would answer. And then she'd go, no. And I was like, Jane, why do you ask me questions that you know the answer to? And then when I answer, you just shout no at me. I think the answer is she wants me to ask it to her. And she doesn't know the words ask me. So I've been trying to do that. And I've been trying to just get her to stop saying no. I've been trying to get her to breathe deeply when she has tantrums, fits. I've been trying to get her to not have the fits. And she's making progress. You can see her trying. And there have been a couple times I've seen her, like, master herself before a fit. And, like, one thing that's really helped is that I'm reading the, the manuscript of Good Morning, Hello, How Are You? Where I would vent about Jane's fits and my journal entries. Uh that makes me remember how much better she actually is. The nose are hard. She's still kind of like semi-abusive towards us sometimes. <laughs> Not always. I mean, she's a good kid. She's like a normal kid. I don't, I don't think she's got problems in this regard. It's just, it's hard, you know? It's very hard. Sometimes you're just like, wow. I just like, I, I'm sorry, Jane. I don't feel up for three hours of abuse this evening. Can you go color or something? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, it can be rough. It can be rough. It can be rough. But she's good otherwise. Um, yeah, she's she's great. I'll be excited to see her in another hour. And she won't be excited to see me because it's lunchtime and I don't exist after 1130 in the morning unless it's daddy bedtime. So I will want to hug and maybe I can get a hug from her, but probably not. She'll just ignore me. But it is daddy bedtime, so I'll see her tonight. That's nice. Gardening is going well. Um, winter gardening rules, man. I just went out there this morning and uh, the lettuce is doing great. The beets are doing great. The broccoli, the cauliflower, the snow peas, all doing great. It's kind of amazing. 
and I'm not doing anything. I don't even go out there all week. I don't, I don't water. I don't, I don't do anything. They just grow. It's like, there's fucking rules. It's so much easier than summer gardening. I strongly recommend winter gardening if you live, you know, in zone seven or better. I don't know how it works in the, well, I am, you know what? I don't know. I bet you could do it. We grew, we grew a lot of stuff in Alaska in the snow. Not in the full depth of winter up there, not like 40 below, but like what we would consider winter in, you know, New England, we would definitely still be growing. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, I, I planted a bunch of uh, cover crop in the four, one, two, three, four, five birdies beds I have in their new location. I had them all moved, you will recall, and then I filled them enough. They're all about half full. And I filled them enough that they wouldn't get moved by the wind or anything like that. But I don't have any more dirt for this year. I got to order a ton of dirt next year and I'll, I'll top them off with fresh dirt. But in the meantime, I wanted to put a cover crop in them. And I was really lazy. I was, didn't do it before Thanksgiving. I was supposed to do it for Thanksgiving break. I didn't do it then. I was going to do it the week after. I didn't do it then. I, was, then I had to go to New York. Where I didn't have to. But I went to New York for four days. I've talked to you since then, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I didn't do it when I got home. You know what I mean? I just kept blowing it off. So I finally got around to it last weekend, <laughs> which is like, I don't know, eight to 10 weeks too late. Uh, and, you know, it was cold out and I was like, whatever, I'm doing it. Stuff grows in the winter here. I've been watching this YouTuber from Raleigh, a farmer, and he farms in the winter here. It'll be fine. So I planted all the hairy veg and then I lucked out because for the last week it's been in the 60s and 70s and it rained the next day after I planted it. And I was like, for a week, it still didn't grow. It's been actually two weeks, I think, since I planted it. But yeah, for, yeah, because for the first week it didn't grow. On Christmas Day, I went up there and looked, and I was like, "It's been a week," and it still hadn't grown. And one nice thing is I can see all these planters when I'm in Jane's bedroom in the morning. We get Jane out of bed. I get Jane out of bed, and Jane and I we go look out the window. We say hi to Grammy's house every morning. We check the weather, and the planters are right down there below us. So I've been keeping an eye on them. This and then yesterday morning, I was like, "They look kind of green." So I just went out there this morning, and it just finally sprouted. It took two weeks, but this stuff sprouted, and so that's great. I got cover crops. In my birdies bed, that will add a bunch of nitrogen. Next year comes, I will sort of do a high-level till. It's not really a till, but I'll pull up the stuff and then I'll mix it into the top of the bed before I add the new soil because that will add a bunch of nitrogen into the soil. So that's really exciting. And it worked. Uh, yeah, gardening in, this, in the winter rules. Emma's been talking about how as we age, we should spend summers, a month each summer up in Boston or New York or somewhere else and um, where we have friends. And I was a little worried about it because of gardening, but like the, that guy, Josh Satin is his name, the YouTuber in Raleigh that I watch, same zone as me. Uh, he was like, I don't like gardening in the summer. It sucks. It's too hot. Nothing grows. You have to water all the time. I'm not going to do it next summer. I'm going to become a winter, spring and fall gardener. And I was like, you can do that. And then this, my garden is just working so well in the winter. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to be a winter, spring and fall gardener too. <laughs> this is great. In the summer, I'm just going to take a year off take a month off we'll go somewhere and then we'll come back and i'll plant for the fall <laughs> i'm so into it so yeah i mean yeah gardening's still working it's kind of amazing uh, i'm gonna go out there and pick some lettuce and some spinach today for our salad it'll be delicious uh yep yeah, so that's about everything i think that's been going on in terms of my life aside from the media it's been a great week you know i just i've been sleeping in a little bit not a lot i usually get up at 7 a.m uh, I've been getting up at like seven thirty, maybe eight on a crazy day. One day I slept until I just, my alarm didn't go off or something. I slept till eight 45. It was crazy and I felt great the whole day, but then I was super tired early at night. So didn't keep doing that. Um, yeah. Oh God, that's right. I have a package from my mom. I haven't opened. <laughs> Whoops. I should open that. Uh, yeah. One second. <laughs> Whoops. She had told me she was sending me a package of a bunch of stuff from a friend of hers's time capsule, which seemed cool. She was like, do you want this stuff from my friend's time capsule from the Y2K? I was like, yes, I do. So the package came and I was like, okay, that's the stuff from that time capsule. I'll go through it when I've got some time. It didn't occur to me that she might also put presents in it. <laughs> so I just opened it. It's got like presents in it for me and Emma and Jane. And I'm like, oh, whoops, these should have been under the tree on Christmas Day. And I just didn't do it. Oh, well, Jane can have a bonus present this morning when she gets home. That'll be fun. All right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's do the media section of this podcast. Uh, I'm having a little trouble with my Plex. Um, I just rebooted the server, so maybe it will get better. But it has been quitting on its own. And I don't know why. 
I've been adding, I haven't really added a lot this week. I added uh, Serious Moonlight. Oh boy. Oh, this is not good. Plex is not showing up on the menu. Okay, we'll worry about that later. But uh, so I added Serious Moonlight, a film screen written by Adrian Shelley, who we talked about in the last podcast. Uh, it's up on Plex, but the Plex is not running. God knows what's wrong with it. It could be quite some time before I get it up again. So keep an eye out, I guess. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, Discogs. I sold. I sold a copy of Bob Mould's seminal album workbook, which I love passionately, and uh, I do not own any Bob Mould on vinyl, and I desperately want that album and Black Sheets of Rain, because they are really, really good. Bob Mould on the Black Sheets of Rain tour was the loudest show I've ever been to. It could be because I was younger and my ears were better, but I'm talking like I've seen My Bloody Valentine on the Loveless Tour in a small club. I have seen them in medium-sized clubs. I've seen them in large clubs. I've seen them in stadiums. I've seen My Bloody Valentine a lot. They've never once been near as loud as Bob Mould on the Black Sheets of Rain Tour. <laughs> my God, it was insane. I was very, very close. I was right in front of the speakers. I was not wearing earplugs, and I was young, but my ears rang for four days. It was nuts. Uh, I sold a copy of Coils, music to play in the dark. I own three copies of it so on vinyl, and so I've been putting the ones, the less rare editions up for sale to try and sell them off because it's just dumb to own three copies of the same record on vinyl. Uh, I sold Nick Cave's soundtrack to, to have and to hold, except it turns out I had already sold that a while ago, and for some reason, Discogs did not remove it from my for sale inventory, and so it got sold again. Maybe I had double-clicked when I added it, some weird mistake. I don't know, but I sold it again. I had to cancel the order. I felt really bad. I hate it when I have to do that. That's all I've sold. I had Discogs turned off through the New York trip, and I forgot to turn it on for a few days. So it has only been like a week that it's been turned back on. Uh, vinyl. I got a copy of the Minecraft Alpha, the first Minecraft soundtrack album, Volume 1, from the artist C418. That is the composer of the soundtrack for Minecraft. He has two albums. The other one is Minecraft Volume Beta. They're both on Ghostly Records. They're very hard to get your hands on. They keep reissuing them, and they keep selling out immediately. So, you know, there's a chance. You just have to be on it. Uh, but, yeah, uh, they're great records. Strong recommend. Uh, I already had Volume 2. And then I got, <laughs> let's see, Tilly and the Wall. Tilly and the Wall are awesome, and I had forgotten all about them for a long time. They're the only band I know of with a tap dancer in it. They were just so good. They were so good live. They were just the f most fun shows. I saw them a ton for a while there across two albums, Middle East just a couple times, a bunch in Austin at the at South by Southwest, a couple times in San Francisco, and I just loved them. And then I forgot all about them for a while, and I've been like remembering and thinking about them again. And uh, I've been trying to get their albums on vinyl, but a lot of it didn't get pressed on vinyl, and one of them did, though, called Oh, and I just got that. Uh, and I got... Uh, the person I bought, so, you know, I'm looking at my Discogs want list, sorted by order of cheapest, and so I made it. This one guy had, like, four things that were the cheapest four things I wanted on Discogs, so I bought them all. One was a Spiritualized Amazing Grace 12-inch single, which I did not have. Mercury Rev, Rainy Day Records 7-inch single, which I did not have. That thing is, like, two bucks. <laughs> it's awesome. It's a, it was a Record Store Day release that nobody bought, which is dumb, because it's a great record, and it's awesome to have it on record, and it's, it's just a great cover. It's whatever. Uh, and then I got, I did an order from Matador Records, and I got the Bardo Pond Amanita release, reissue. Amanita is an album, it came out in like mid-90s, I think. I really loved it. I had it on CD. The tour was awesome. I used to see Bardo Pond all the time, and I really loved them. Kind of like psych out, freak folk, not folk, just psych out, space rock. And uh, it was just fantastic live. And Amanita was really my favorite record from them. And I sold it a couple years ago on CD, and I've been wanting to buy it on vinyl, and I just, you know, it's like kind of expensive, but Matador just reissued it for 20th or 25th anniversary, one of the two, on double pink vinyl. And it's gorgeous, and I'm very happy to own it again. And when I was up on the Matador site, I was looking through the new releases, and I got the Goon Sacks album because I really liked them, and uh, it was cheap. And so I got Goon Sacks Mirror 2 as well. So those are all the albums I've got this last two weeks, except one where I splurged and I spent a shit ton of money on an album I've wanted for years because the cheapest copy that has shown up on Discogs in a year showed up, not to say in any way that it was cheap, but it was the cheapest. <laughs> so I got it, which is the Flaming Lips album covering the Stone Roses debut album in its entirety called The Time Has Come to Shoot You Down. What a sound. And I love it. 
and I'm very happy to own it finally, even though I spent way too much money on it, and it is exciting. So that's all the vinyl I got in the last week. That one is not on Spotify or anywhere, by the way. You just can't listen to it, except if you own the record. So, <laughs> I mean, there's probably something. There's probably a, like, boot, I don't know, Pirate Bay or something, but, you know, it's not on any streaming sites. I should check YouTube, actually. Uh, but it's a great record. They cover the entire Stone Roses album with a bunch of their friends, and I really like it. They do very different, interesting interpretations of each song. Uh, let's see. So well, I listened to some albums in the last week or two, two weeks, but it's not really been my focus. Um, I have no new stuff in my to investigate. And what I've, one of my tasks, of course, in the Spotify cleanup is to get my to investigate list of 2021 cleared out so that at the beginning of 2022, the to investigate list is empty. So right now I got 12 hours left in it. So I won't quite make it by the end of the year, but it'll be close. I'll get cleared out by over the weekend. Uh, but it's all stuff I've already heard mostly. I do come across as I'm doing it. I'll be like listening and be like, oh, you know what? I threw this album in like, I don't know, November, but I didn't listen to it. So some of the stuff has turned out to be things that I had in my playlist and did not listen to. Anyway, uh, Jenna Malone, the actress best known from Donnie Darko and the Hunger Game movies, I believe, would be her two biggest things. She has bands. I did not know this. She has a couple bands. Um, one is called Jenna Malone and the Shoe, the shoe being sort of an instrument uh, that in a suitcase, kind of like the Simeon was for Silver Apples, like a, like a homemade sort of modular synth-based instrument, it seems like. Anyway, the band is called Jenna Malone and the Shoe, and the album is called I'm Okay, and she's very good. She's got a couple different projects different names so that probably didn't help and you know but um yeah i like it it's on spotify check it out the aces under my influence uh i think they're from brooklyn it's a little uh band of three women it reminds me of wet kind of like sophistapop brooklyn lady sophistapop with synths uh roberta flack quiet fire that was the dis uh vinyl me please record of the month last month i mentioned it last month because i got it but i hadn't listened to it yet so i finally listened to it it's a beautiful album very haunting Got poorly reviewed at the time they were all wrong it's great uh aeon station observatory oh my god it's so good it could be one of the records of the year aeon station of course is one half of the wrens the wrens famously could not get their act together to make an album this year they've been working on it for years they finally had a falling out one of the guys put out his part of the album and finished it up called aeon station is the band name the album's called observatory and it's beautiful and it's fantastic strong recommend one of my favorites of the year laufey L-A-U-F-E-Y. Typical of Me is the name of the album. It's a, it's a woman. Uh, it's a quiet album. It's a little bit jazzy, loungy. I really, really like it. Strong recommend. Uh, Meridian, M-E-R-I-D-I-A-N-E. Uh, to Walk Behind the Sun. This is goth. It is atmospheric, mellow goth, and it's fucking awesome. Uh, I learned about this from my old, <laughs> old, old like me, goth friends in Boston, from Boston. None of them live in Boston anymore. John O'Leary, Catherine Polnock, people I used to hang out with in the early 90s. <laughs> Still all talk. And uh, John was raving about this album on Facebook and Catherine was talking about how she agreed. And I was like, oh my God, I haven't even heard of it. But uh, I don't know anything about them. Uh, there's a woman and a man singer, and it's just fucking fantastic. They, uh, John said it reminded him of the first of this Mortal Coil album, and I could not agree more. It is just great. To Walk Behind the Sun by Meridian. Clint Mansell, soundtrack composer, formerly of Populate itself, one of my favorite bands back in the day. Uh, makes a lot of very influential soundtracks now. This one is called In the Earth. I don't know anything about it. I think it might be a horror movie. I did not like this soundtrack. Uh, had a little bit more modular synthy, long tones, single tones, ooh, that sort of thing, uh, versus his more orchestral stuff. So I, I was just, I don't know. I didn't really like it. I mean, I liked it okay. It just wasn't wasn't my favorite. It was no, uh, you know, The Fountain, <laughs> you know, or uh, Pie or something, one of his more influential soundtracks. Uh, J.J. Johansson, a Swedish sort of solo artist that I've listened to for years. Um, kind of loungy, kind of synthy, sophistipop kind of thing. This is a covers album of music from soundtracks it's called Silver Screen. He covers things like Somewhere Under the Ra Over the Rainbow and stuff like that. And it's kind of awesome <laughs> if you're into Torch songs. But uh, yeah, J.J. Johansson, Silver Screen. Uh, Telemann, Family of Aliens. Uh, this was in my queue and I missed it. Uh, I don't know why it was in there, but it was great. It was a uh, synthy. It was like, um, yeah, it was great. Telemann, Family of Aliens. If you're into like dancey synthy stuff, that is, that is a good one. Phaser Days, Morningside. 
Phaser Days, F-A-Z-E-R-D-A-Z-E, Morningside. Uh, now that I'm re- thinking about it, Morningside was the name of a slow dive single, so it should be no surprise that a band called Phaser Days making an album called Morningside was shoegazy. And it was. And A-plus for shoegaze, great record. That's it. Those are the only records I listened to in the last two weeks. Let's, t- let's take a drink break here. Ah, that was delicious. Okay. Television finished up the Saturday Night Live season with that weird ass uh, Christmas episode where <laughs> the half the cast got Omicron and the other half didn't want to come in. So the host was left to do the show with the only two cast members that would come in, which uh, they helpfully pointed out were the only two black cast members, Keenan Thompson and Michael Shea were the only two that felt like coming in. And then they roped in uh, Tina Fey and Tom Hanks. Because they were both there to <laughs> welcome the host, Paul Rudd, into the Five Timers Club. So they just sort of did the show by showing the, the rehearsal tapes from earlier in the, in the week and old episodes. It was actually really heartwarming and it reminded me a lot of last year's pandemic episodes. They didn't try and do it from home or anything, but it, it, it was good. It, it, it was nice. It was weird and it was a weird time because the pandemic is a really weird time right now. And everybody in New York was getting COVID for three weeks there. It's probably still happening, honestly. It's crazy. It's crazy. We're not talking about that today. But it's a great episode. Uh, and that ends the season. So that's cool. That's done. Uh, Hawkeye ah, finished it up. I enjoyed it very much. I think it was rushed at the end. There were two major plots that were just left dangling. That's kind of annoying. Uh, maybe even the main plot was a little half-assed in the end. They needed like one or two more episodes to finish up properly, right? Like Yelena Pavlova and Hawkeye had some bad blood they needed to work out. And they worked it out, but it felt a little uh, quick, you know? And then there's this Jon Snow looking criminal guy who had a whole plot going. And even in the last episode, they're escalating the importance of his plot line. And then it just ended. And uh, same with the mom. I don't know. It just, it was a little quick at the end. So maybe, they, maybe if they, you know, they're stuck only having, I think it was eight episodes or something. It was short, six maybe. If they knew from the beginning that's all they're going to get, then it's their fault and they could have paced it better. But I, I feel like they just needed one more episode. Uh, only Murders in the Building. Half Hour Murder Mystery with Steve Martin and Martin Short. And uh, what's your name? <laughs> the one I met in the VIP area of Coachella. It was really awkward. I got to look it up now. I mean, that's kind of part of the story. Selena Gomez, right? Yes. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah i loved it it was great and uh i finished it and i was totally obsessed and i started thinking of all the like hints that they had at the end of season one for the big cliffhanger about season two and i wanted to immediately rewatch it all because it's you know it's a half hour it's only like 10 episodes strong recommend it was really fun it's a great way to end your night after you're watching some dark long t- television thing that you're like oh i'm so depressed you know watch an episode of only murders in the building it was super fun i still might watch it again uh, maybe right before season two comes out but yeah i loved it it got me thinking a lot for a couple days there uh, Wheel of Time on Amazon, fantasy show based on a book series with like 14 or 16 books or something like that. I, uh, it was good. Um, it too suffered from some pacing issues and it felt a little Lord of the Ringsy tropey at the beginning, but I'm roped in enough that I'm excited for season two. I'm a little annoyed that it's going to be so long until there's another season because it didn't feel like enough happened to justify a whole season. Even though when I think about the actual structure of the plot and the beats and the events in it, there was enough, but it just didn't feel quite enough. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. But uh, I do not regret watching it, and I would feel comfortable recommending it. So those are all done. Uh, And then we're watching a bunch of stuff we're not done with yet. We are watching Star Trek Discovery. We are not enjoying this season at all. I don't like the way they write this show. I have a lot of problems with it. It's never the main plot. It's actually very rarely the plot. It's the dialogue. It's the internal, the way they, it's the characters, lack of consistency. It's like the overwroughtness of the whole thing, the constant striving to like hit notes of humanity, but like doing so only through a prism of trauma and, and, and drama for people that, I don't know. It's just, there's something about it that's always bugged me. (laughs) But oftentimes, the plot is good enough to override that. So far, this year's plot has not is not good enough to override that. The last two seasons were stellar. So I'm hoping this one turns around. Oftentimes, I, when I first watch it, I'm very, very... We're on episode four now. I think we just finished last night. 
often when we start discovery, I, I feel all these negative things a lot more. And as the season goes on, I kind of get over them. So I'm hoping that happens again. We shall see. I started the new season of Succession. I'm not very far into it. I am not enjoying it, but it's good. This is a consistent theme in my life these days. I, I, I don't like enjoy watching a bunch of bad people do bad things. Um, also, I felt like this season specifically, I was really into Succession before this season. And I didn't. I was busy or something when it started, and the the early buzz wasn't that good, so I didn't feel compelled to start it right away. And then the later season's buzz was immensely good, so I'm hoping it'll get better. Um, and you know, like I do, like I started enjoying Succession more when I like really embraced the comedic side of it. At first, I was taking it too seriously, and then I realized it's a comedy, which is you know hilarious because that's kind of a big part of that New Yorker profile, infamous New Yorker profile on Jeremy Strong. But um, this one, I was like, yeah, I get that's the comedy part, but it's not funny to me anymore. This is, these people suck. And I, maybe I was feeling it too much. I don't know. Sometimes I got to like re-inhabit these shows and like I, a new season comes along and my initial objections come back, even though I've gotten over them later. So also I started it without Emma and she's like, don't you remember by the time you finished Succession, you know, I was watching it with you because at first she was not. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So now it's roped into our own, our joint TV time which is a lot more TV than I watch on my own, but it's also like got a backlog. So it'll be a while before we finish it. I think uh, great British baking show. That's our comfort food at the moment. Uh, I like this cast a lot. People were saying they didn't like them, but I'm into it. I, I like Lizzie. She's hilarious. I don't like the gal that talks like this. I mean, I do kind of like her. I just don't like her voice. Uh, I love uh, <laughs> the Italian guy is amazing. The German guy is great. Jurgen. There's a lot of good people on this episode of the season. I'm into it. We also watched the holiday one, which is annoying because the holiday ones are a year late here. Like we just watched last year's holiday one when they could just air. I don't know. It, it's kind of bothers me that they do that. Like well, they need to work it out. But it was great because, you know, it's nice to see old cast members sometime over the last year or two. Emma, during the pandemic, Emma and I watched all the old seasons of Great British Baking Show. So this is the first time we've watched the holiday episode and we've known all the characters because we've seen all the episodes. And that makes the holiday shows a lot better. Uh, we took a break to watch them during the holidays because it's dumb to watch them in like late January. <laughs> uh, we finally started the last season of Rick and Morty. Uh, it's much nicer to watch Rick and Morty when the Rick and Morty hype has died down, both from the lovers and the haters, because they all got a lot of problems and they care way too much about Rick and Morty from both directions. And like, uh, it's a good show and it's fun to just watch and it's not that big of a deal, people. <laughs> Yeah, and then we started the Book of Boba Fett, episode one, on Wednesday, because I am a Star Wars fan. You may not know this about me. Uh, I was never a Boba Fett guy. I mean, I like Boba Fett. I was always into Boba Fett, but not like a Boba Fett guy. You know, my friends are Boba Fett guys. I was never really a Boba Fett guy. Uh, you know, I'm a very straightforward kind of guy. I was a Luke guy, you know. I, I'm not like a dude that likes villains, because, you know, you know, villains do bad things. Not a big fan of villains. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm a little uh, bit of a simpleton when it comes to these things. I'm not going to lie. That being said, I love Star Wars. I always like Boba Fett. He's a good, mysterious character. Boba Fett's uh, demise was wrong, and it is symbolic of all that, you know, all the problems that George Lucas may have. <laughs> uh and, you know, it's like, I'm also not a purist, but because the pure, the purity was dumb to begin with in a lot of ways, like explain to me how being digested over a thousand years is problematic when you go into a belly's a beast's belly wearing armor and you're still functional and your armor still works. Like, I mean, what's the big deal? It's not like the acid is going to eat you very quick. You got some time to like sort it out. You know what I mean? So, hey, newsflash, as we all know from Boba Fett being back in <laughs> alive since uh, The Mandalorian last year. Uh, yeah, he figured that out. Big shocker. I don't know. Um, yeah, Sean and I were talking about it last night. And he's like, there's always a risk with these things that, like, you know, it's going to be too much. And I do agree with that. And, like, I feel like that there is that risk. And I feel like that's happening a little bit with Star Wars. I feel like that... Uh, Rise of Skywalker was a complete failure. I mean, I didn't mind watching it at the time, but I it was not a good movie, and it let a lot of people down. But 
there's been some good stuff too. Force Awakens and Last Jedi. I like both of them. I I, I like Ray. I like BB-8. I like killing Snoke off in the middle. I like a lot of stuff about the new Star Wars. Um, but it is it is at risk of Disneyfication, and it's problematic. But this little corner of it that Favreau and Filoni are doing in the television world, I think so far has been very, very solid. And so far, all indications are the book of Boba Fett will continue that. And I have been pleased. So that is exciting. Movies. Okay, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've watched seven movies so far since my vacation started nine days ago. I'll watch one today. It'll be eight. So I missed one day. It's Christmas Day. I should try and do a two for tomorrow, but I got too much shit to do, man. Um, watch The Matrix Resurrections, which I really liked. A lot of people did not, but I don't care. I think it was good. And uh, yeah. That's it. I think the secret to the Matrix movies is that people think the first movie is way better than it really was, and they think the sequels were way worse than it really were than they really were. And this one is somewhere in the middle, and that's good enough for me. But if you think the first movie is the greatest thing ever and nothing has lived up to it since, this will not live up to it. But I do not share that view. Um, I think this was fun, and I think it was clever, and I love the way they handled the meta shit. And uh. There's a profound insight about emotions that I thought was really good that people are overlooking. And the action set pieces were not too long like they were in the sequels as the biggest weakness of the sequels. They were some amazing action sequences. Don't get me wrong. The freeway scene is amazing and the Battle of Zion are amazing, but they're too long. And this one doesn't do that, which is nice. Uh, Trinity and Neo get some real time to have some real conversations and develop real relationship and feelings, which is nice to see in an action film it was good the balance of action and uh, other stuff was good for me and that is rare these days especially in the mcu because they spend way too much time on the action scenes like they did in spider-man no way home which i did like but it is becoming increasingly impossible for me to watch an mcu film and think of them as independent items outside of the politics of Kevin Feige and Disney and all of that shit. I can't do it, and it's hard, you know? Uh, there were three big surprises throughout the Spider-Man films. Number Surprise number one and number one, three worked for me great. The big, big surprise, number three surprise, I thought was fantastic. Uh, very well done. But I just question the need for all of that. Uh, and then a larger picture, this part's no spoilers, the multiverse conceit of the post Thanos MCU is not something I'm really into. I don't find multiverse theory interesting. I think that it is generally applied in film properties and intellectual property as a corporate tactic to reboot aging IP characters <laughs> that you've written into a corner which is what's happening with the MCU even as they introduce new characters that could have been more interesting. Um there's a plot device used in Spider-Man No Way Home that is used in a, uh, another film that is done much better in the other films. So I feel like the MCU is often a burden on these films. That's all I can say. I'm trying not to spoil it for you. But I did enjoy it, and there's a lot to like in it, and I'm glad I saw it. Even though I had to go to a movie theater, fuck Disney for making me go to a movie theater. It was this whole thing. For six days, I looked at the movie, first showing of the day, every day, until one of them had nobody in it, and I bought a ticket so I could have, ultimately, like some people showed up, but I had the first five rows of the theater to myself, and I wore my mask, double mask, the whole time, and it was just a fucking nightmare compared to Warner Brothers that put The Matrix on HBO, and I resent every studio that is making movies for theater only right now. I just hate them. And, like, I will carry this grudge for a very long time. <laughs> and I was in the theater, and I was watching previews, and, like, the previews would be like, only in theaters? And I'd be like, no, fuck you. It just made me very mad. Very, very mad. Especially Disney with the kids thing. It is, it's just, it's appalling. It's appalling. Uh, yeah. Anyway, then, uh, what else did I watch? Uh, Don't Look Up was great. Thank you, Netflix, for having your movies on uh, streaming. Apple is putting out the Macbeth, Tragedy Macbeth, only in theaters, and it's showing up on Apple TV+, Plus, which I pay, what, fucking $100 a year for? And, like, they can't give me the movie at the same time, and it shows up a month later? Oh, fuck you. It's so annoying, you know what I mean? Like, why why are we paying these people? Anyway. <laughs> uh, don't Look Up was great. Some people really hate it, and I don't know why. It's depressing, and it's exactly what would happen in that scenario. Somebody out there was like, this is not what would happen. It would get peer-reviewed. I'm like, it did. Did you just miss that plot point? Like, a bunch of scientists did peer-review their findings of the asteroid 
And they all agreed. They say it in the film three times. And then another person was like, I don't understand the point of the Ariana Grande character. She was just unneeded. I'm like, that's the point. There is no need for celebrities in major uh, extinction level events, but they'll be there because we're, that's who we are. Like, that's the point of the film. That's the point the film is making. It would be hard to make that point without a celebrity, wouldn't it? So I don't know. It's, it's a little weird. I loved it. Maybe you didn't. <laughs> uh, then I watched a French Dispatch, uh, the new Wes Anderson film, which was beautiful and well acted and had a phenomenal cast and the art direction was amazing. I questioned its purpose a little bit other than I want to make a film in France and a dedication to French villages and literary. I mean, I get it. I get it. It's a love letter. And it, it works well as a love letter. And, and, you know, it's a series of vignettes. And those vignettes individually are a little bit moving. I guess if I look at it through the prism of other vignette movies, like, uh, what, New York Stories or Antonini's Beyond the Clouds. That's the one with Vendors, right? Um, it's definitely better than those. So, yeah, as a vignette movie goes, oh, and, uh, Four Rooms. That's another one. It's, I, I don't know if it's as good as Four Rooms. But it's a pretty good vignette movie. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I was engaged the whole time. Uh, pleasant. Yeah, well done. I mean, I can imagine. Uh, Jeffrey Wright was amazing, by the way. Just amazing. Um, working on it must have been just so fulfilling and amazing. I can, I'm glad it exists. I do not begrudge these people. I, I like it. To work on something like that with that much creatively rewarding material must be phenomenal. I can't even imagine to work with a group of that many amazing, talented people on something to make something as beautiful and amazing as that. So I'm, you know, I just, did it work as a thing that moved me to tears? No, but in every other capacity, I, I loved that film. Uh, Encanto, we bumped that up because Emma wanted to watch it. Disney film, uh, that moved me to tears. Uh, it has serious plot structure problems. I have deep questions about the miracle, but uh, it didn't matter. I loved it. <laughs> Uh, that's kind of the same as Spider-Man No Way Home, by the way. I profoundly question the plot device that set the plot of the movie in, in motion, but I love the plot of the movie once it was in motion. <laughs> uh, then I watched Come On, Come On. I did not enjoy it at all. Beautiful artistic accomplishment. Tiring a little bit of the black and white national, the national Dressner Brothers aesthetic. Uh, white capital letters, sans serif on black and white backgrounds, sparse ambient music, and uh, slow atmospheric dialogue. A little, getting, getting a little tired of that. And, uh, you know, like Mike Mills and Taylor Swift have this in common, I guess, now. <laughs> Um, but again, well acted, uh, definitely moved me a little bit. It's a parenting film. So I'm feeling that I read this really great article in the New York Times. I'm sorry, the New Yorker, <laughs> the New York Times about the trauma plot. I strongly recommend it, but, uh, I was already feeling this. But now that I've read this article, I read it right before the holidays. Now everything with the trauma plot, I'm just, I'm just tired of, I don't need to watch a movie where every single character is traumatized. I am not interested in that. And I don't need to watch a movie where every single character has past trauma because most of us do, but they can't function because of it, because most of us can function with it. And it just kind of annoys me and it's not realistic anymore. And like, you know, you can have a bunch of people with trauma and argue about like various responses to trauma or illustrate different responses to trauma. But when you just show a bunch of people with trauma that are all struggling from their past trauma and not a single person is functioning, I find that annoying because it's unrealistic. And also like just, yeah, I don't know. It's just too, it's the plot device is overused. And I was already thinking before that article, but that article really drove it home. The rest of the article is like a long history of the trauma plot, which I did not find interesting at all. I don't love the whole article, but that conceit of the article that the trauma plot is overused, I am completely down with. And Come On, Come On by Mike Mills definitely suffered that. Uh, and then I actually speak of the devil. And then I just watched Power of the Dog last night. Oh, my God. I love Benedict Cumberbatch. I love Jesse Plemons. I love Kirsten Dunst. I love Jane Campion. I love the cinematography. I did not love the soundtrack. I love the acting. I did not love the trauma plot. I do not need to see bullies that are secretly traumatized. I'm not into it. I did like the rest of the plot, and I did like the twist in the plot, but it's too slow. And I think, you know, I wish I had watched it in a theater. If I had watched it in a theater, I could have been absorbed in it a little bit more, but I was like, my God, you this I could have been a hour 20 movie maybe an hour 30 but it was a little over two hours it's just too long i could have let me edit it <laughs> power of the dog rick webb edit snappy edit tiktok edit <laughs> but again a lot good about it but uh at its core there's a trauma plot and i just don't need that anymore i don't need it i don't need to watch mean people in my movies i'm not interested in it i don't even even i, 
I, you know, man, it's just like, come on, have some imagination, people. I mean, I got it, you know, Becky Chambers, man, the author of the Wayfarers trilogy, those books that I read, uh, Record of a Spaceborn Few, the year, <laughs> I don't remember the names of them all anymore. But uh, you can have no plot. You can have plots where people are just kind. You can have plots where reality is real. You don't need to have plots where it's just all people being traumatized and bullying all the time. Ugh. Just exhausting. I swear to God, exhausting. Yeah, so actually, uh, one more thing for the French Dispatch in its favor. No trauma plot. No trauma plot. No bullies. Just people being humans. Fucking love that shit. Uh, that movie's going to grow on me as time goes on. I can tell. So that's it. Those are the eight films I've watched in the last two weeks. Books. I read one of the most disturbing sci-fi books ever. No trauma plot, though. Uh, just the weirdest, ass, uns unnerving, unsuspected, strange plot of a book ever. My friend recommended it to me, not warning me about all that. She said... Uh, because I like the Becky Chambers books, I would like this. And she was technically true on both counts. It is almost as plotless as a Becky Chambers book, which to me is a huge plus. And it's sci-fi. And I did love it and find it very compelling. But she did not warn me of how deeply disturbing it was. <laughs> it's called Skyward Inn by Elia Whiteley. And uh, I strongly recommend it. It's a quick read. It's sci-fi. It's very unnerving. When you do read it, you're probably going to want to talk to someone about it. So drop a line. We can talk. Uh, I finished that, and then I'm reading another sci-fi. That's what I like to do at the end of the year. You know, I finished the, the Graber Wengro large tome about the history of humanity and wrap up the year with some lightweight sci-fi. This one was recommended to me by my friend Jenna. It's called Red Rising by Pierce Brown. Finished it last night, two nights ago. It's part of a trilogy, so I started book two yesterday. Uh, it's sort of like Red Dawn meets the Hunger Games on Mars. <laughs> I liked it. It was weird. It had a lot of twists and turns that I did not see coming. It's definitely, you know, it's got like the tropes of the genre and it's like a uh, white guy saving the world kind of thing. But uh, it's, it was clever. It was good. So if you're into weird sci-fi, uh, it's not really young adult. I wouldn't say it's young adult. It's got very adult themes, but uh, yeah, recommended. I will be probably talking about those more though, because I'm going to read the next two next. I think. That's it for episode 107, the last edition of 2021. Happy New Year. Hope your 2022 is better than your 2021. Hope your 2021 was better than your 2020. Mine was, barely, but it was. Let's acknowledge that fact. Thank you for listening. Drop a line. Let me know how you are, and I will talk to you guys soon.